1: Good afternoon. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. We learned on Monday, retired General Rick Hillier would be wrapping up his time as head of Ontario's COVID-19 Vaccine Task Force at the end of March. The governing Ford PCs at Queen's Park have faced criticism over the slow and cumbersome rollout of COVID-19 vaccines but the premier has said it's all based on supply from Ottawa. In announcing the general would be leaving the vaccine rollout, the premier said he tried to convince Rick Hillier to extend his contract, but that Hillier had said he had finished what he came to do. But is this the real behind-the-scenes story? Libby Snymer asked this question of our Tuesday strategy panel, Bob Richardson, liberal strategist and senior counsel to National Public Relations; Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village; and John Capobianco, senior vice president and senior partner Fleischman Hillard High
2: Road. There was always issues with the the number of vaccines that the federal government had procured, and and how fast and how how many. Of the vials were were sent to the provinces, uh, and then the provinces were were sort of you know then taking over the actual jabs and arms and making sure that the vaccines that they received were being were being dispatched. And and so there's you know I just don't like to put blame on anybody. I don't like to blame the federal government or the provincial government. I think that this is so new to everybody, and and the, and the the, the the vaccines are so complicated by way of doses and storage and and all that kind of stuff. Uh the fact that we've now got the fourth uh, Johnson & Johnson approved and, and, and it's going to be out there soon, I think that people are starting to get vaccinated, which is great. I'm hearing stories all the time. I'm seeing it on social media. I'm getting calls from friends saying, hey, I just got myself vaccinated. That's wonderful news and that's all we can hope for, is for the next number of months, that as many people as possible, the vulnerable, the most vulnerable first and others just get vaccinated, and I think we'll all be uh, in a better place.
3: Well,
4: yeah, but that's not exactly the way it rolled out. Uh, we are still, like, in the 40s in the rollout, 41st, 44th. We were 50th last week, uh, so we're still not not doing great. It seems to be starting to move. Uh, but here, you know, it was Rick Hillier saying speed over perfection, and, and suddenly, you know... Uh, some hospital workers who, who didn't even have jobs facing the public were getting the shots before people in long-term care. There are still outbreaks in long-term care. Uh, apparently, everybody who wants one has gotten a first shot, but not a second shot. Uh, you know, the deaths are way down. They're effective, Karen. But, uh, you know, what, what do you think about the, or do you have any scoop on the departure of Rick Hillier? I don't have any
5: scoop, um, but certainly I can appreciate, um, you know, why he, he, he chose to leave when he did, in that, you know, he came into a job, was given an assignment, and, you know, came from a, a background where he had command and control, and he, and he had a command and control structure. So, you know, and presumably that's why they brought him in, is because it, there was this logistical rollout that needed to be managed with a lot of moving parts. And there was a sense that him, with his background and experience, could manage that rollout. Um, but again, he moved into a space that doesn't have a command and control culture in the way that he is used to. And so it's not surprising to me that he he ran into resistance uh, with the uh, bureaucrats at, at public, at, in the health department because they have a different lens with which they, you know, operate themselves. And so, you know, trying to meld this command and control, um, this is the order I give, follow it, to, okay, but we need to consider this, out and the other thing, And, you know, with a, with a different lens of assessing risk, um, it, it would be a very, very difficult thing to manage under intense timelines, under excruciating public scrutiny, under, you know, political implications that, you know, could determine the next government. And at some point, the guy's like, listen, I, I didn't sign up for all this. You know, what? <laughs> I wanted <laughs> yeah. to do a job. I wanted to make sure people got vaccinated. I've done what I can. Um, now, you know, in fairness to him and to the to the next step of the process, he's like, there's probably better people than me that can take it to the next step.
4: Okay. Uh, Bob, congrats on your vaccine. Yes, I'm uh, one of those who sort of snuck
6: in. I'm, I'm uh, 59, but if you're born in 1961, uh, you can still uh, get vaccinated. So uh, my birthday's a couple months away, so I managed to sneak in under the, uh, un- under- under the rules. So I'm happy, uh, happy to have that done. I was just going to say, look, I agree with uh, basically what, what Karen uh, had to say. Uh, I think General is used to being a workhorse and is used to being the guy in charge and getting stuff done. He was set up here to be more of a show pony than yeah. um, than uh, a war and I think that was that was a problem, and he didn't have that command and control function that I was
7: used to as a
6: as a former general, and that was that that's probably uh, problematic. I think he was just sort of a fish out of water here, and uh, and it wasn't uh, terribly
1: effective. Bob Richardson, Liberal Strategist and Senior Counsel to National Public Relations. Karen Stins, CEO of Variety Village. And John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. There was news this past week of a couple of big corporate takeovers, leaving us wondering how they might impact us as consumers. Sobeys' parent, Empire Co., has reached an agreement to buy 51% of independent grocery chain Longo's and its online service Grocery Gateway in a deal worth $357 million. Shoppers who frequent Longo's say they like it because it's somewhat unique. The brass at Empire promise they won't mess with the brand. Much larger and more significant is the Rogers-Shaw deal. Rogers Communications has signed a deal to buy Shaw Communications in an agreement valued at $26 billion, including debt. This would combine Canada's two largest cable companies as well as their wireless networks, although it needs approval from several federal agencies. The opposition conservatives have already staked out territory, saying they will force hearings on the subject and try to ensure there will be no approval without assurances that prices won't increase. The governing liberals also have plenty of cause to be cautious. Lowering our telecom bills is one of their unfulfilled promises, in addition to getting better access for rural and northern areas of the country. Libby spoke about the Rogers-Shaw deal with Dr. Kernahan Webb, associate professor in the Faculty of Law and the Law and Business program at the Ted Rogers School of Management, along with consumer advocate and journalist Ellen Roseman.
3: I'm really concerned about wireless. That it, we all live with a phone, a smartphone, a cell phone. It's like Uh, You you can hardly live your life without it. And we have three big players. We've got Bell Rogers and TELUS, and they're all more or less equal in terms of the number of customers that they have. But the fourth biggest player is Freedom Mobile, which is owned by Shaw. And if you remember Wind Mobile, uh, Shaw bought that and turned it into Freedom Mobile. And that was always designed to be lower priced, more accessible, more affordable, uh, not Rogers, or TELUS. It was different, right? It was independent. So um, that is the... has. It's not big. It's in three provinces. It's Ontario, Alberta, and B.C., and it's only in the major cities. But it helped create some price competition in wireless that we might not have had. So if the deal goes through, and it has to go through the CRTC, the uh, Competition Bureau, and the federal government, so three different screenings, the result may be that they'll allow a merger, but they might have to spin off a separate company, which would be Freedom Wireless uh, or something like it to maintain a fourth player, because that's where we really need the competition and we don't have enough. Our wireless prices are way ahead of other countries. According to the Globe and Mail, they haven't gone up in the last little while, but They're still pretty high, and they've only gone down marginally. So we still need much more competition, and we'd like to see it with at least a fourth player that isn't swallowed up by one of the big three.
4: Okay, Dr. Webb, your take.
7: Basically, there is a legal framework uh, within which all of this sort of uh, uh, decision-making takes place, and that uh, is the Competition Act, first of all, And the Competition Act and the Competition Bureau are uh, essentially our first uh, safeguards to ensure that something non-competitive doesn't happen. Uh, The mandate of the Competition Act is to ensure an efficient marketplace while protecting consumers specifically. So that will be one of the first legal uh, structures that has to be addressed with respect to this merger. And then on top of that, there is the CRTC, the Canadian Radio Television uh, Commission, and they have also responsibilities over all aspects of telecommunications, and so it'll have to be approved by them as well. And we can expect that in both regards there will be requirements and conditions put on any merger uh, that would ensure, for example, that investments are made uh, so that we have uh, broadband coverage in rural areas. And uh, as Ellen suggested, quite possibly it might require a spin-off of uh, some of the assets uh, so that there is some competition. And who knows, they might open things up to uh, foreign uh, uh, competitors, and that would certainly shake things up. As in all of these sorts of situations, we can just address the particular issue on the table, so this particular uh, purchase, uh, proposed purchase, or what we can do is we can go with a more fundamental approach, which is to revisit the Competition Act, the Competition Bureau's approach to the Competition Act, the CRTC's approach to regulation of telecommunications, and the whole issue of foreign ownership uh, in a much more broad way, so that we're not uh just dealing with these things on an ad hoc uh, way one at one at a time that's where we're at now and there seems to be an appetite for a revisiting of that nature whether or not it'll be done in time to have any real impact on this particular situation it's difficult to say at this point
1: Dr. Kernahan Webb, Associate Professor in the Faculty of Law and the Law and Business Program at the Ted Rogers School of Management, and Founding Director of the Institute for the Study of Corporate Social Responsibility. He was joined by consumer advocate and journalist Ellen Roseman in conversation with Libby Snymer. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's best of fight back. Coming up after the break. Mayor John Tory on Toronto's mass COVID-19 vaccine rollout.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back.
1: Three of Toronto's mass COVID-19 vaccination clinics opened on Wednesday, initially only for people 80 years of age and older. Early this past week, Premier Doug Ford urged local public health authorities across the province to make sure those who are 80-plus get their vaccines before candidates in other priority groups. Fight Back checked in with Toronto Mayor John Tory on Thursday to see if this is the advice being followed in Ontario's biggest city and how the mass vaccination rollout is going so far.
6: There were a couple of little hiccups yesterday. Uh, When I say little hiccups, uh, where there wasn't adequate signage to point to an accessibility elevator for people who might have had trouble navigating a ramp at the convention center and things like that, that we remedied very quickly. But the bottom line is we'd set ourselves up based on the supply available to do 450, um, uh, sorry, 350, no, 450 450. inoculations at each of the three clinics that are open. And we did those. And, uh, you know, people seemed to come for their appointments. There were a few that didn't and a few that showed up without an appointment. But, you know, these are the kinds of things you expect in these big efforts. And we're hoping to continue to ramp this up subject to supply being available, a vaccine, and uh, get as many people done in the 80 plus uh, group as possible. And I will just say, I really hope people listening who either are themselves someone born before 19, uh, in 1941 or earlier, or who know someone, a parent, a friend, um, please encourage them to register. Uh, everybody tells me it's actually relatively easy to register um, if you can do it online. Otherwise, you can phone. Um, and we You'd really like want... That people during this window when they can have exclusive uh, access to these immunization clinics uh, to get vaccinated.
4: People in York Region between the ages of 75 and 80, and I have to admit I have a few of those in my family, uh, they can register for shots next week. When are we going to get to that point here in Toronto?
6: I don't know. Uh, the time you do that is uh, you know, when you have uh, you know, made substantial progress with the ones that are 80-plus. And in our case, we had to, and you pointed this out earlier on, uh, we had a large number of first responders and healthcare workers to do. For example, half of all the doctors in Ontario live in Toronto, and so they got their shots here uh, in many cases. And so it meant we had to get through those people as well as getting a good start on the 80-plus. Um, and so, uh, you know, and then our 80-plus population, as I mentioned, is huge. It's 130,000 people. So um, I would think you'll see us uh, you know, looking at other ages of people uh, when we feel we've got to a certain critical mass of 80 plus that have been done. And that's why I'm encouraging people um, you know, to book appointments. Well, you mentioned, I think that there'd been uh, 22,000 appointments booked. Uh, there's a lot more people yet to book. And so I hope people will Either go online or pick up the phone or have somebody help them with it uh, to get booked because we want to make sure we get that most at-risk population, as you pointed out, done first and then move down in age uh, from there.
4: Just before we go, I have to ask, we are on the radio, but so uh, what's your hair doing today?
6: Well, it's doing about the same. I haven't had a cut. I try to think of when the last time was I had a cut. Whenever the barbershops were last open, I had a cut. might have been in December, I guess. I don't know. But uh, it's getting longer by the day. But, uh, you know, I I just uh, deal with it. Some people have said, why didn't I have my wife? cut it or somebody like that. But I said, then they would think I went for one of those kind of secret, you know, appointments or had somebody come to my house to cut it. And I don't want them to think that I'm not following the rules. So I am following the rules. And some people think it actually looks better. (laughs) I have no opinion on this. Other people think it looks worse. Uh, But it is what it is. I'm just glad I have hair.
4: Well, you know, I've seen some tweets where you sort of said, don't make fun of me for my hair. And I think that's what on the internet is called a humble brag. You know, you've got a pretty uh, good head of hair for a guy your age.
6: It's still there and uh, doesn't show any signs of falling out. So we'll, we'll, we'll consider this a uh, problem worth having and uh, we'll get a haircut when the time uh, permits, when, you know, when the circumstances permit.
4: Okay, Mayor Tory, thanks so much for being thanks, with Lizzie.
6: us. Thanks for having me on. And remember, 1941 or earlier, please uh, get, get signed up for vaccination as soon as you can.
4: Toronto Mayor
1: John Tory in conversation with Libby Zneimer on Thursday. As an update to the story, on Friday, Premier Doug Ford offered a surprise announcement that Ontario residents 75 to 79 would be eligible to book a COVID vaccine starting tomorrow, and that includes residents in the city of Toronto who are 75 and over. The online portal is ontario.ca bookvaccine. The hotline is 1-888-999-6488. One triple eight, triple nine, sixty four eighty eight. This is Zuma Radio's best of fight back. I'm Jane Brown. The two Michaels have been jailed in China for eight hundred and thirty-two days, and they are now in the process of being put on trial. Michael Spavor's first date was Friday in Dandong on the North Korean border. The trial lasted two hours and no verdict was offered. Michael Kovrig is scheduled to be in court tomorrow in Beijing. The experts say guilty verdicts are a foregone conclusion. The timing also may be no accident. The first high-level in-person talks between Beijing and the Joe Biden administration began in Alaska on Thursday. The Trudeau Liberals are apparently hoping this attempted reset of U.S.-China relations, after years of erosion under President Donald Trump, will create an opportunity for the release of the two Canadians. To discuss the situation, Libby was joined on Thursday by Chuck Kwan with the Toronto Association for Democracy in China, and Charles Burton, senior fellow at the McDonald laurier Institute and expert on Canada-China relations.
8: You know, the Chinese system has a, a body between the police and the courts called the People's Procuratorate. So, you know, in normal cases, the People's Procuratorate assembles all the evidence and ensures it's a strong case before it goes to the court. So that's why you get the 99% conviction rate. Of course, this is not a normal case, in that Kovrigan's favour are simply guilty of being Canadians in the wrong place at the wrong time, but uh, the prospects of conviction are almost certain. The, the issue is whether this is um, possibly leading to release. In the case of the previous Canadian uh, arrested out of Dandong, Kevin Garrett, who was incarcerated in the same facility where Michael favor is currently, um, he had his one-day trial, secret trial. Um, after a few months, the sentence was handed down, and a few days after the five- to eight-year sentence, uh, Mr. Garrett was on a plane back to Canada. So, you know, the optimistic scenario is that we're going to see a repeat with Kovac and favor, but there are too many unknowns to really know whether we should be optimistic or not.
4: What kind of a penalty would you expect, at least officially, Chuck, that that they would get? This is espionage, alleged
9: espionage. Um, the worst-case scenario is life in prison. Um, could be... Fifteen years, or in case of of, uh, another Canadian who's now been has been in jail for more than ten years now, uh, Jalil Hussein. He's been sentenced to, I believe, twenty years. So uh, we're not talking about light sentences. And but I want to point out that um, China has upped its game. It's no longer dealing with whether we should be releasing men on. You know, on on the account of no evidence that, that we will not be extraditing her to the U.S., it's now uh, sort of uh, going higher up to Biden's move. Basically, they're daring, they're using the hostages as a um, pawn in their negotiation with the U.S. Basically, the trade. And everything else. So, you know, um, unfortunately for Canadians, uh, we are not, in, no longer in that game. We're just a minor player in the two giants
4: is that because of a miscalculation i mean um there was that declaration that our government made against uh, uh arbitrary detention which sort of sounds to a canadian ear as you know yeah and the chinese became incensed and the americans signed on to that the new biden administration um, was that a, a miscalculation, and the Chinese are just trying to say, "Okay, you want to go that way, we up the ante." Uh, Charles Burton, am I reading it wrong?
8: I mean, that's a possible reading. Um, it could be also now that Canada, under I think pressure from public opinion, is starting to actually do something in response to Kovarik's favor by rallying nations to our support, um, probably leading to some kind of um, international coalition to try and get China to comply with the norms of the international rules-based order, in other words, don't take hostages and don't uh, arbitrarily engage in economic coercion by cancelling trade contracts, that they recognize that holding Kovrigan's favor is a, a net negative to them. It won't lead to early release of uh, Meng Wanzhou. And it's causing uh, the Canada and China to deteriorate more and more as time goes on if they do hand down a very heavy sentence. And, you know, I, I it's hard to be optimistic, but at least this shows some movement on the file. And it's possible that, in fact, it is on the agenda for the Anchorage meetings and that the United States and, and um, China will work something out. But I think the other point, which is very significant that uh, that Chuck raised, is because Canada has made no substantive response to China over this, that we are not players in this negotiation because we have nothing on the table.
1: Charles Burton, senior fellow at the McDonald laurier Institute and expert on Canada-China relations, along with Chuck Kwan with the Toronto Association for Democracy in China. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown.
1: Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Tracy in Hamilton, who phoned with an observation about the COVID vaccine booking process for people 80 plus.
5: My biggest concern about this was that they automatically assume that these people over 80 would have text, or would have cell phones and computers for email confirmations because you have to have all these confirmation codes for you when you go in. And they automatically think that everyone will have someone like a daughter or a friend that may call in for them over 80, maybe, that have these, you know, that the technology to do all of this, but not everybody has it. So I found that a little disturbing. And I think that would be overwhelming for people that are calling in that on their own, like say my mother.
1: Now there is a hotline to call for those 80 and over and those 75 and older starting Monday who don't have internet access or someone to book an online appointment for them. It's one eight eight eight. 999-6488. 1-888-999-6488. That does it for this week's Best to Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fight Back Libby and call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416 367 9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join us again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back.
0: The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeeb Hattie, with technical production by Kelly Robotham, executive producer Moses Nimer.